Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about emerging technologies that are out there in agriculture. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at Bear's collaboration with EarthBio. Ag History Minute, we're going to talk about the history of GPS. In our Cool Beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Bill. Well, how'd we do? Last week. Last week at the conference? No, how did Todd... <laughs> how did me? How, yeah, how did Todd... Did oh, you guys. Oh, I don't oh, care. Okay. No, I'm just <laughs> That's kind of what I figured. <laughs> bros on rows. Bros on rows. Yeah, I thought you guys did fine. Good. We'll let the listeners say, Bill. That's right. We don't care what they say. It's, it's definitely different when like, your role in a like this is different. Like you really have to think about what you say and how you do things. Like that was very different for me. Yeah, Bill. Did you like being the? Basically, was, Bill was the Matt role here. Matt, and he had Matt. to kind of lead it. I don't have the wit that Matt has, so that's dif- difficult you know Matt, Matt also has that radio background from his days in Stevens Point <laughs> yes when I read the news on the campus radio station yes. <laughs> so uh, the big long list of uh, huge radio accomplishments <laughs> yes. WUSP what was the news, news on the night yeah, like, what what was some of the news oh gosh like, I don't know it was whatever um, like, like it was a campus scanner? news or was it like, no like the, I Basically, I just had to look up like a couple. Okay, you got to do. Yeah, it. no, I had to pick oh, whatever awesome. I I read. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they never got fired, so it was good. Local man breaks into dam while drunk. I was I was gonna say the hallway pooper strikes again. <laughs> That's like normal college campus news. Uh, sink poopers, I think, is actually poopers, the yeah. issue we were having at at one time. No, I, it was just yeah, random stuff. Whatever. What time were you on at? Like midnight or? No. <laughs> midnight. Um, I thought it was like, it was like either n- super. Oh, it was new, no, well, it was more, usually sometime in the morning. Okay. Because I remember I once tried to record myself because this was before streaming and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> the only way to do it was to put a tape in my stereo and try to record nice. myself. And it, I screwed it up and didn't, and I never tried again. So. <laughs> so I have no evidence of this. Of only, only students who attended. UWSP and listen to the campus radio station while they were there between 2002 and 2007 <laughs> would, would have ever heard me. Yeah, I wonder how many kids listen to the campus radio station. Uh, we had the world's largest trivia contest, and so that was the when it was the most listened to was during that weekend well, that's in the April. Station that yeah, does it? no, it's done. Yeah, right on the campus radio it, station. Yeah. Yep. I'd be all about that. Actually, that'd be pretty sweet. You can still do it, Max. It's still a thing? Oh, yeah, it's still a thing. So how does it work? Like, you call in? So, yeah, there's uh, like a bank of people answering phones, and it runs from Friday through Sunday night. 90 FM trivia. Yep. And so what they do is they read out the questions, and you have so many songs to answer the questions. So it might be a one-song question or a three-song, and you can... Use the internet, Google, whatever. You can look up answers. But then you get points for answering correctly, how fast you answer, depending on the question. There's a road rally type thing where it's 
There's clues that you got to follow when you're driving around town. We got pulled over once on that one because somebody called in a car driving really slow through their neighborhood because we were looking for something. And I'm sure the cops kind of know. It's right when the, the cop pulled us over and we explained what we were doing, he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, like no biggie, just yeah." But yeah, that was kind of funny. So yeah, there it was, and there were there was a trivia movie that you could. Um, so there'd be questions throughout, like from this movie. So they'd show it on campus, like a couple of days before the trivia thing started. They'd have like a movie night, and then you'd watch this movie, and then they'd ask questions. And it, the guy that started it, I think he just kind of quit. He retired. Oz was the guy's name. Like every every year, I think he spent you know eleven months basically. Like mapping this whole thing out, and then, yeah, for the, for that one big payday, that one weekend, oh, a year that was the trivia contest. So it's in like April or something. Yeah, it's it? usually in April. It's uh, I can tell you exactly because I'm on the website right now. I think it's the, f- yep, April fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteen, and it was we actually where, we know where Max will be April fourteenth. the answer to a question on Jeopardy once as well. What. Oh, what University in like, Wisconsin oh, wow. hold hosts yes. the world's largest trivia contest? UW Stevens. Did anybody point. get it? I don't remember. Yeah. I just remember it. It happened. I think either right well, when I was in college or right after. Because remember thinking how cool that was. Like, yeah. hey, my university was on Jeopardy. But yeah. So Aaron Rodgers didn't a- answer it then. New, no, not that I'm aware of. I, I hearken back, Todd, to my. AV days with Doc Fairbanks in high oh, school. Yeah. My, <laughs> my one class in high school of DJ. I think it was like a we had a no he unit had like on a, DJing. Yeah, we had a full like because there was photography and then he yep. did like yeah he was, was actually he was on the radio for a while. Yeah. Doc was yep. on one hundred four three right. The, yep, which is now it's like an alt. Yeah, they changed it. It's now the Fuse. So the old like, which was weird because they played Christmas music for like two months yeah. in the in the. Which I don't know if they'll still do that then in the winter if they'll be done with that. It's yeah. like right, but yeah. after Halloween, right? They just crank it. Yeah, the, no be, Thanksgiving usually. Thanksgiving. Well, no, it's like November first. First, yeah, it's right. like so all of November right and then yeah, you're right, most yeah, of right. December. Yeah, so like two months. And then they played Weird Al. They had like a Weird Al took One over. Weekend. I heard that. that. Was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. He just has that many songs. Huh? Was, he does have a question. It was few. more than you thought, but it was it was enough on repeat too. Like the better ones were more. Obvious. I don't know exactly how many albums, but he's been making albums since like the eighties. Right. So, I'm gonna actually Google that right now. How many albums does Weird Al have? I didn't really realize Weird Al like I thought he had like three songs. Like no Amish Paradise. Um, eat it, huh? Eat it, eat it. There's six, one, two, three, four, five, 33 albums. First one in, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of these might be singles, but um, starting in 1981 through, I'm trying to see when the most recent one was. His heyday. 2022. It had to have been like late 80s, early 90s, right? Like that's. Yeah, because well, it was like Madonna, like a virgin. Nirvana. Nirvana, yeah, smells like Nirvana. White and nerdy, white and nerdy. Six, that was a big one. Yeah, the, his most recent album was the because they did that um, biopic on him, um, the weird, weird, the Al Yankovic story. So that's his most recent one. Otherwise, twenty seventeen was the last time he he released one. So yeah, he's 
almost 40 yeah. years. <laughs> Living with a hernia. <laughs> it's True. a great, sounds like a great one. My my favorite, which caused beef between him and Coolio, is still probably Amish yeah, Paradise. Yeah. yeah. And that was... Well, and he thought he... He thought he had permission. Weird Al yeah. thought he had permission and then didn't, but seemed to have cleaned it up fairly properly. You know, yeah, no, they they made him in, like everybody yeah. was good. But yeah, that was the thing that he would always awesome. yeah. Amish Paradise very popular on TikTok. Ask permission from the artist, like. But had to have he brought didn't... more to Coolio, though, right? Probably, right? Yeah, you. The, that's kind of the joke with I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen a couple of interviews with Weird Al about this because it's not really a, a true biopic of him. It's made to make fun of, like the idea. But there are a couple of. Artists that got what do they call the Weird Al bump, like when he oh, would do right. a parody, it yeah. would bring their song back, like into the charts, and they'd get more hits and stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Vikings didn't have any hits, did they? No, it was a wild weekend watching some of these games. Um, I know I shouldn't be happy, but I'm happy. The Vikings were eliminated right out the right out of the gate. Yeah, by the nine and whatever Giants. Seven, nine, and I don't know why that, nine and eight. I think watching that was like, it was awesome seeing them lose. It was like yeah. the, it was it was great. I I was most excited for Duval. Let's go Jags, Jags, Jags Mafia, <laughs> Jags, Jags. Is that a thing now? No, but I'm I'm actually pretty excited. If Jacksonville's good, like that's fun. That's fun right there. I like Doug, Doug Peterson. Yeah. I think Trevor Lawrence is interesting. I think like it's just an interesting team. I don't know. Mix up. I like. I mean, when it could ba- be Doug Peterson against his old team at some point if they yeah. make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, historically bad franchises when they're good are so fun. Yeah, like look, think how much fun it's been for the Bills to be good. Like because they were bad historically. Bad. Well, I well, just think of Bills nineties where yeah, but they, yeah, but, but, t- but they never won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they, they were just made historically sad. Maybe yeah. is a better yeah. way to put it. Yeah, four trips to the Super Bowl and four losses in the Super Bowl is pretty... Yeah. So I'm excited. I like when, when bad teams get good. It's fun. And hey, I mean, that's what the Lions finished at, above 500. That's as close to the Super Bowl as they'll probably get. So, Do we honestly think they're going to be better or worse next year? Depends on how free agency goes for them. Yep. Depends what they do with Goff. I see worse. That's all I can so, see is worse. Oh yeah. yeah, I just... Just feel like they don't have quite the. I don't feel like their offensive or defensive coordinator is all that innovative or special. I think after a year of film on them, it's going to get kind of. And Dan Campbell can only yell so many times. You know who probably isn't going to get much better? I mean, they did so poorly that they probably might get a little better. Packers? The Bears. Yeah. So they're still going Justin Fields. I mean, they're standing behind their guy who had three. Good games. The only thing they got going for him is like obviously the first pick, but they got like a hundred and ten million to spend. Like we have nothing to spend. They have a lot. They can yeah. get a king's ransom for their pick. Yeah. Because somebody needs a quarterback really bad and they are gonna manage to screw it up. I know I know they will because that's what they do, and I'm very excited to see how they do it. Remember when they got Khalil Mack and that big blockbuster yeah. deal? Yep. He was okay. And, and he almost beat and the Packers once. Almost beat the, exactly. <laughs> once. With Al Rodgers. Uh, he intentionally hurt Aaron Rodgers right. and still wasn't enough. So, I mean, I, I guess. He's dropped far, though. 
Like watching him in that because he's with the Chargers now. Mac. Yeah. Can we oh talk, yeah, he's. Not can we talk about just all-time doy doy head coach decisions? Brent or uh, Staley. Brent Staley. Like, what was he? What is he doing? Like, what did he do, Max? First, first he played his starters in a meaningless oh, game yep. in Week 18 and got him hurt, Four. losing yep. by three touchdowns broke, through a screen to Mike Williams. Broke his back and broke his back, which a guy who's hurt all the time throwing him a screen in a three touchdown game that doesn't mean anything. What? What's going on? Then he's supposed to be this big analytics guy. Follows the numbers, doesn't doesn't coach from the heart, doesn't get conservative, stay with the numbers. It's he was up by ten with eight minutes left in the game, and instead of going up by two, it, he he went he took it from a two score game to a two score game, trying to kick a field goal on fourth and three from the Jags twenty two yard line. Why are you Why are you not trying to punch that in and make it a three score game? Like you gain nothing by kicking that field goal. And then they missed the field goal besides. Ooh. Like, just all time. Like, was, was he the one, too, that didn't spend the timeouts, or was that somebody else? There was some bad, like, any, no, that was Baltimore. They that was the game with, like, two timeouts in their pocket. Yeah. Yeah, you no, don't get to take them to the next game. Staley did not want to use timeouts because they needed to run the clock out. They also. Do you know what runs the clock is running the ball? Yeah, so they usually had, helps. What? Seven seven rushes and like twenty six pass attempts in the second half. They started the second half with a seventeen point lead, and that was how they seven that, rushing that, attempts with a seventeen point lead is yes. That's <laughs> what are you what are you doing? What are you, just what are you doing? Silly guys. Sounds like Matt Lafleur. So oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> hey, Cowboys are doubling down on Brett Meyer. So oh yeah, there's no way that comes back to. No, not at all. I'm actually Big weirdly... Coach McCarthy knows. He's been through it with Crosby. He's been Crosby <laughs> successful. So. He's an all-time dumb, dumb coach. Because like, he, he actually it. makes... He actually, I think, is a decent head coach. But when he does something stupid, he looks so dumb on the sidelines. Like, exceptionally dumb on the sidelines. He's always got that dumb face, and he's kind of chubby. And well, he kind of looks confused. Like, how did that <gasps> not work? He looks confused on a good day. R- right, right. I feel weirdly happy for him. Like I hate the Cowboys, but for him, I feel like, oh, that was nice for you. He's gonna get embarrassed Cause it, next week because I think you know he that, was right? gonna get canned if they didn't. If they wouldn't have won that game, he would have got fired. He still might if they don't make the Super they're, Bowl. They're gonna get embarrassed next week. Like oh. it's they're gonna lose thirty-five to three because that's just the way Forty ers are. Well, it, aside, from, I, they could play anybody next week, and I have a feeling they're going to lose for some, like that. There, it's so just it going to be a terrible which, performance. Like Dak looked awesome in that game, so it sort of depends which Dak shows up. Give Dakota right, and the week before he sucked, right? So and Brady looked ah, he old. Looked, old. <laughs> looked like he's yeah like, forty seven yeah. years old. He doesn't have the like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees when they got no. old, where they got the noodle arm. No, his, his decision arm making is good, good but no. he looks. Terrified I don't to even get know touched. His decision making is good because he just that interception at the goal line. Like it's okay. It's not like total collapse. The thing is, he is just can't, you can't touch him. He, or he dies. He may be having some decision making issues because he thought he was playing soccer at one point <laughs> when he tried to do the kick slide. I saw that tackle with cleats out. At kind of surprised he didn't get called for tripping or something he, like that. I think it's because he didn't actually make, con- or well, I can't remember if he made contact, but it wasn't right. a good contact. Sure. He didn't actually affect the, the play. Yeah. Well. Anyway. 
It was a fun weekend. Like some of those super wild card games, like in previous years, are just dogs, just blowouts. Well, they were all pretty close. Buffalo, Miami started really one sided. Buffalo, yeah. And I thought, oh, well, same with the Chargers, right? They were up on. I think they're up by seventeen going in the second half. Yeah, yeah. and because the first day, the Saturday games, no one who was leading at halftime won the game. Like both teams that were down at half won the games. At Buffalo, it was tied, and they managed to come away with a, what ended up being a pretty close game. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, Miami kicking field goals, like, you're never going to catch up just kicking field goals, and all of a sudden their the, offense turned it on. And The only thing I thought the Vikings had going for them was they were at home. Like, if they were on the road, right. they were going to get trounced. But the only thing is they were at home, and Kirk looked like Kirk. Primetime Kirk, right? All no. playoff games are considered primetime. They and ended in primetime, so they're considering it a primetime game. All playoff games are primetime, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the way it yeah, works. Yeah. Kirk, the new nightmare, just can't get it going. They are record holders, though. The Vikings set a record in this playoff game. They're the only team since the Super Bowl era began to complete 80% of their passes, no turnovers, and still lose. Couldn't happen to a better organization. All the other teams, it's they're forty-seven and zero. Like wow, so teams with those too, stats, yeah, like Could, couldn't happen three. to a better organization. <laughs> so congratulations, Minnesota Vikings. So winning all those one-score games was pretty much luck. Yeah, <laughs> a team with a negative point differential struggled in the playoffs. You're kidding. But what about their awesome comeback against the Colts? <laughs> that team should have the first pick <laughs> in the draft. Yeah. Uh, uh, at the at the Vikings Packer game that I was at, the Vikings guy next to me not he wasn't saying this to me, but he was saying to somebody else. He's like, "Oh, didn't you see the the Colts game? Like we rocketed back. We were down thirty. Like I don't think this is gonna happen tonight you for you, buddy. Down 30. Right? You should have yeah. been down thirty to the, to the Colts. Good way. teams are never down thirty. Just so you know. Right. Yep. Uh, all right. We better get into this. You guys ready? Yep. Yep. All right. So last week. One of the reasons it was bros on rose was uh, because Max and I were both gone. I was down in St. Louis at the National No-Till Conference and saw some interesting stuff down there. So coming back with some emerging technology stuff they had that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, one thing you guys touched on last week, I think, in your spotlight, but um, we'll start out with the Seed Destroyer. Just loving the name. It's actually the weed seed destroyer, but it is a add-on for a combine that they are developing. It uses a combination of blue light and mid-range IR to destroy the weed seeds as they come out the back of the combine. I believe we roughly touched on this like probably a year ago. Yep, yeah, this was They were trying to do that years ago too when like Waterhemp and Palmer really got going. Like there was some rumblings of it. That was a that was a smashing like yes. mill style, right? Sure. And this is an IR. How okay? How often we hear about near infrared? Yep. And I've heard of far infrared, but mid range, but mid infrared. Yep. Is it's a f- new so, frontier, right? Well, like I just didn't know that that one was. It's all about like wavelength of the light, right? And certain waves affect. Different well, things differently, like yep, and that's why they have the two different light sources because blue light won't do what it needs to do on all species of weed seed, so they had to add another wavelength to do. So 
only takes 1.5 seconds of exposure I to you were gonna say 1.21 gigawatts. gigawatts. No. That's actually more seconds, though, than you'd... You know, you'd, you'd think like it would flash. Like, that seed's going fast. Yeah. Right. Through it's going there. through there, and so I think the whole tube, is yeah. the, the design is like a kind of a tube-looking thing, is, you know, broadcasting this light. The other thing with those two wavelengths is, and I can't remember if it was the IR or the blue light, actually cuts through chaff. Like, it's almost like it's not even there. Oh, that's cool. So it can, it can, so it can just, yeah, ex, it'll expose seeds no matter how much extra material is there. Um, but it's 95 to 99% effective depending on the weed seed species that is traveling through. That's sweet. Now, granted, you've got shatter on the head, so you're not getting 100% of the weed seed coming through the combine. Right, you're going to want to have as much as you can go through the combine, but which is... If I, if I told you you could have a 50% reduction in water hemp seeds, are you going to not take it? Right. 30, <laughs> to, mean, 30 to 50%, you know, whether it's a third or half or whatever it ends up being, is still, yeah, an improvement. So they're cooperating right now with um, Texas A&M, LSU, Central State, University of Idaho, and Ohio State are all testing this platform for them right now. One question I have on it. Yeah. Uh, is so you said weed seed. Yep. But what about like volunteer corn that's going out the back? So like if I got corn coming out the back that's gonna be a problem in my soybeans the next year, will that kill that? Maybe that, that would be kind of near awesome. far I, I would far. imagine. Maybe that maybe needs the near, near the far. Yeah, yeah, maybe it needs I, a different So basically what it's doing is it's waking the seed up for a second, making it think like, hey, it's time to grow. Okay. And then that, that's my other question. Right. Like, is it somehow like a laser that's frying it or <laughs> me, me. laser beams? I, I want a laser out the back of my combine. But the that makes sense. It's yeah. So it's like, like awakening the seed and causing it to um, think that it's time to go when really it's fall and it's not going to. So it'll actually germinate a lot of these seeds. Some of them will germinate, some will just like crack and, and they're sure, not. And rot or yeah. something because they don't have enough water. So yeah, it'll be. Interesting. Now, they said they could broadcast the light because somebody asked the question, like, what if we just broadcast it on the ground? When you said that first, I imagined, like, a robot that would just go out there and, like, just have a gun shooting this light out or something. But they said, like, as it it stands now, it's, like, 10 horsepower. It takes off the motor of the combine to run the system that they're using. In order to, like, do, you know, night racing style, have that light underneath the combine and just going the width of the combine across the ground. They said, and it was a lot of deep, like it would take a lot more power to have that consistently running. Because of the how much of a surface The biggest area. surface area, yeah. So right yeah. now, instead of being you know a small tube that they're illuminating, you'd have to broadcast it across the ground. So right, as of right now, it is only something that would affect you, what's coming out the combine. But, but couldn't you like have another implement to do this and pull it with a tractor? Like... I mean, obviously, you want to get it done. Like eight. the benefit is to do it at combine is no one extra passes. Yeah, right. Well, you pull pull a sled. So, like instead of spreading your chaff out, you'd roll everything real nice. Put put the width real low, and then pull a sled that's like you know eight feet wide with the light coming down. And but I'm thinking I'm about the, like, the head shatter. Like, or I'm the, like at planting, this thing would be sure. Sweet. I mean, a lot of your seeds could be buried and stuff. But right, if they're if in, they're in the, ground, the ground, it's not it's gonna. Not gonna get them. Yeah, it was twenty um, to do overground. It would cost about twenty dollars an acre in diesel to run it, like to run a bar. That's how much power it would need to 
to pull off the combine, so it would cost that much more. Uh, so that was interesting. It's something, you know, like we, Max mentioned before, the, they had those seed grinders that they have that kind of crush the seed. This is a little bit more of a technological... Well, and if resistance continues to... Be, you know, continues down the path we're going, we're going to have to try something different. Yeah. So keep an eye out on on that one. It's, um, like I said, it, in university testing trials now and maybe something we see in the next few years getting put on combines. Aquatil was another one, and this, this is kind of replacing your trash whippers with a water jet that cuts through residue. Uh, they showed it in very thick residue, like a heavy straw almost, but um, I believe it was lentils mm-hmm. because it's an Australian company and they grow quite a bit of lentils. But yeah, with 15 gallons to the acre, it's cutting through thick residue, basically opening up a nice uh, cut through that residue for you to plant into so you could run it ahead of your coulters, you could run it in the fall. Um, and they are looking at options of possibly even adding fertilizer at the same time so you'd cut the residue and, and drop your fertilizer with this unit. Um, it's Australian. Like I said, they've been testing it down there and it, the nice thing is it's not something that, you know, needs horsepower to drive really. It's just, you know, you're spraying the water jet. So it's more, it does require some, some horsepower, but there's no drag on the implement as you're taking it through and it would be easily adapted to, you know, you could probably put it on your planter to have that ahead of it, you just have to have the extra water tank. Or why is this better than a trash ripper we have right now? It's not going to bind up. You're not going to get a bunch of residue tied up. All know. right, parts will wear out. Yeah, you know parts wear out. Parts wear out, wear and tear on the the equipment. I don't like this one as much. I'm not as excited no, it, about this it's one. It's not a yeah yeah because it. Well, I mean, you're going to have to find another water tank to. It says 15 gallon per acre. Yep. I mean, you start talking about it's, doing big yeah. acres, that's a lot of refills on water. And it adds all that weight. Yeah. Right. Planter. Yeah. And you could do it in the fall, too. It's not a not that you'd have to do it at planting. Use it's it. more geared toward no-till type sure. farming because it's not really doing any soil tillage. It's just cutting through residue, sizing the residue, breaking it up. Um, yeah. Interesting. It's, when, when you brought it up, Matt, the other day, I was actually kind of pumped about it. And now the more I think about it, and Max, you're talking about like, you're right. I'm me. It's interesting. I just don't know how much of a step forward you're taking. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Yep. The the part I would show is that on wide rows, you're going to use less water. And it would say like the narrower the rows. So say you got 20s or 15s, like you'd be using a lot Because you need more jets. Right, like twice more the of water. So. Like even something like that too. Like you think of a big, huge planter, it'd be different of what you need. So that part of it's interesting. The upside, if you're doing it in like a fall scenario, is you can go very fast. So you can cover a lot of ground quickly because you're not again you don't have that drag of having something actually in the ground or making contact where you have that friction. And that won't like seal up over the winter time. That. The row you're making won't. Yeah, that was that was my question about doing it in the fall. Like the wind blows, doesn't it just blow residue back over that cut? Potentially, yeah. But it's you're also sizing the residue, so hopefully it's breaking down quicker than sure. if sure. it was whole pieces. All these innovations are always interesting, and then we sit here and poke holes in them. Like, 
like we got all the answers. But yeah, and um, the fertilizer was still out there, but herbicide placement with the jets is something else they were looking into where you could make your basic your spray pass with this unit. So you know if you had the capability, you know, you pulled a tow behind tank, had saddle tanks for your your starter, put it on the planter, and you're doing your residue management, herbicide, and planting all at the same time, there's potential for savings there of having less passes over the field. My only other holdup on this would be the, like when you're introducing that water head, and then you got your double disc openers. Depending on how much water, you might smear real bad around that seed tread. You know, like yeah. Yeah. introducing water ahead of that planter could make it just different in... But I think if you think about seeded, how yeah. much water it really is over, if it's 15 gallons over an acre, that's right, not a lot. Right, it's not any different than like a, your... But, your, but when 15 gallons over an acre concentrated down to I, that right. exact yeah. row. Right, right. I just would have to kind of see, and, and maybe on certain times it would introduce more water and actually be better. Right, it could be a benefit depending on how what the planting conditions are. Whoever like came up with this had to do some crazy math to get this to work out that the jet is powerful enough to cut residue and not going to make a huge slit like that goes down six inches because i yeah right you know what i mean oh, i've yeah. used so i've used a, a hydrovac like unit like if you ever washer, yeah. Washer, yeah. yeah like we've dug down feet with a hydrovac unit to expose underground utilities and like you don't have to hit it very long and you're down six eight inches like now you accidentally just made your seat trench eight inches <laughs> right. deep So yeah, that was was another one. Um, Salen twenty four seven is another group that talked. There was an autonomous planter system, so they want to replace your twenty four row planter with six four row planters, but they're automated. So they would find the dock, fill with seed on their own. Got a fleet now. Go through. Yep. So if you have odd shaped fields, you don't have to worry about end rows necessarily. You know, you've always got kind of that small maneuverable type unit so you could be doing multiple fields at one time as opposed to having your planter only in one field. Um, another thing they talked about in their testing was um, some of their test farms used it only for headlands. So they would have that do the headlands and then they would kind of go in and and plant because they felt they were faster. If they only had to do the straight rows. Only had to do straight rows, yeah. You could have the... And they would do like the dog legs or any other weird parts of the... F- the field too, but you could have the yeah. autonomous in the next field doing headlands before you get there, right? So, I've it, actually always wondered about that. Doing the headland, why don't we plant? Why don't we have a guy with a smaller planter do headlands and weird stuff and just leave the middle long rows and let a big planter come in and do it? Like, especially some of these farms that have two planters, don't don't we think that would come out? The reason I, gave, I was giving Matt like this totally weird face, about <laughs> the, the headlands are the heart. I mean. If you have them RTK'd and the borders are correct and you can try, which some planters do now, we can do that. We're just the planter plants are on the headlands. Yeah. But a lot of times the reason the planter is doing the headlands is because that's setting your sort of ABs and some of that first kind of go right. Yeah, just be an interesting tandem of technology yeah. to be in the same field and uh, being able to do that. The other thing was transportation. They're a lot yeah, easier how- to move in and out of fields because they're not as big, you know, you could. No, but I was thinking, how do they, like, there's no way this thing goes down the road. 
Not so, by itself. So you like you'd still have to it, or what do you? Yeah, and I think depending on how many units you had, you just get a little bit longer trailer or something like that, and have the three four. Or if you're doing, if you're only going to have them in one field at a time, and you're splitting them out on several fields, then yeah, you just have a trailer. It would drive up on it. You'd take that and the docking station to the next field and set it go, and then you go pick up the next one and move that to the next field and. I know in theory you're going to create a tw- you're going to be doing 24 rolls at a time with six or with would you say these are four with six units it would still be crazy to watch a four row unit working in like a 180 acre pivot right watching you, that thing go back and forth when you think about yeah, yeah full section Bill's holding a picture for us right now yeah that would be insane to watch that thing do a, even just a wiper pivot like yeah it'd be nuts what I noticed from the picture though is there's no fertilizer on there. It's just, just it's going to be hard to get for like, and it says like less weight, which would be good. Yep, because you got there. It's just very minimal power to the system, but and there's there's this one is one that's still fairly early in in stages. There, oh, really, Matt. There's like a shot vac hooked to the <laughs> side for it, like a big shot. There vac is for yep. the vacuum. Like it is very like. It looks like R two D two inside of your planter. That is amazing. That would be sweet to have like R two D two pop up. In what was crazy about these guys too is they're they're engineers, and they're, so they're there's not, and hopefully they'll add this. There's not a lot of farm background in the group sure. that, that was building this machine, and so their their takeaway and what they kind of shared was you know that's what they like going to these conferences is talking to farmers and a lot of these guys. And getting better ideas, better ways of doing things, because they, you know, they the principles pretty basic. You know, we got to put seed in the ground in rows, and you know, we already have the row unit. They're not doing anything, you know, particularly fantastic with a row unit. It's just a row unit with a seed firmer and right. double this opener. It's the idea of being driverless, and they could slap a. A seven thousand row unit on there. That's not the point, right? It's everything else. Yep. So, um, but yeah, this is definitely one of the the earlier in its lifespan systems. But they are their willingness to go out and talk to farms and and looking for that experience to add to what they're doing um, seems really good as far as a company goes. They're not just like, no, we know what we're doing. We'll tell you what you need. They're they're listening and they're they're adapting to what farmers kind of want out of that system. So that was kind of cool. Uh, the John Deere Exact Shot, and that's the one I think you guys touched on. We did last week. Um, we there they showed a demonstration of that last week. Um, they had a short video that was I think CNET at the CES is where John Deere kind of released this technology. Um, Seems pretty cool, you know, being able to put the seed or the fertilizer with the seed and not, you know, just a constant drip. So you're you're saving, in theory, the, some. I think the part I was still thinking about this is won't say your seeds are seven inches apart. Like, yep. won't the root grow and get some of that that's in the middle? It would. I, yeah. I just I'm still. But if it's more concentrated, does it have to then? Do you want it more? Yeah. Like what it? Yeah, I mean that to some degree. If probably it's low not. Salt, you want you're still going to be okay, but like I won't want to be putting ten thirty four in a high saving money. We can probably go lower rates because it's going to be right where it needs to be. What direction is the root going to go though? So you go back, forward, sides. Yes, they're yes. saying still. 
So, I mean, you when know. If you look at pop up, we're already way under any sort of rate of feeding that plant or having enough there for that whole system anyway. So, it probably doesn't matter. You know, when you're looking at pop up, yeah. it's not a. <laughs> So you're say, what you're saying is just because you can doesn't mean you should? No, no, I'm not saying that. It's just we need to figure out this, t- like as agronomists, how this works. Like a plant growth regulator. Back in my day, we just put pop-up on and we were happy. Why yeah. can't people just be happy? Plant growth regulator. Like these rates <laughs> are figured out to the, like, so now we're going to like concentrate a whole bunch on it. Like we already don't exactly know how much cytokinins and gibberilla it really, it, I mean, we got to figure it out but it sugars I, I think in theory you could use it for fungicides too because you well, there's really not a benefit to having fungicide all through the furrow no right Agreed so with that. some something like that it would yes definitely make more as more sense perhaps or as that, much sense as to me that would make a lot of sense because i've had conversations with growers about fungicides in that degree of like wanting to and i think todd we talked about this last week like keeping soil biology and what is a fungicide doing to that soil biology so by lessening the amount of soil particles that touch that, maybe we do increase soil biology. Yeah. More what I'm saying is, as agronomists, we got to figure out what we'd even do with this technology. Like John Deere is like, oh, you can save money on pop-up fertilizer. And you do the math. You're like, okay, yeah, say you cut it in half. That's a big, big amount of savings, sure. But what, is, what are some other like, benefits or changes that we'd use? And one would be like use rates of a lot of things could be cut yeah. by a lot. So, well, and that's why the, but, the technology on the sprayers, too, of you know those hooded sprayers where they target specific plants rather than spraying yeah. the whole ground, and yeah, but like it's kind of a pivot bio goes in the infurrow, infurrow, yep, right. They want that one infurrow because some of them they don't. Yep, that one they pivot bio is infurrow. So, like the rate of that, can I use a quarter amount of pivot bio because I'm gonna, you know, or half because it's right on that seed and I can inoculate it or not? I I don't. That's I don't so, know that we know the answers to that. Uh, not that that's so far that. down the list on, like, you have to get this, the, this John right. Deere exact shot has to get out, and then it'll take five years of them researching how to cut these rates before we even have that answer, right? And which exact shot should be this this year, maybe? That one, I'm not sure when the, the formal debut, like, obviously, they were talking about it at CES, but I don't know. Did you guys have anything in what you looked at last week about exactly when it was it was announced right that like yeah what's wild to me is but i mean as far as availability like is it it going to be on planters this year um, or they didn't say anything yeah so i yeah i don't know exactly when they're going to start putting them on planters you know whether it's the 2024 class of planters if you want it as an option or i think the bigger story here we're not talking about is why did john Deere release this at ces like that's the consumer electronic Trying to show, show. Yep. in Nevada. Like it's not that that part actually hit me harder when I saw a story that what you brought up is like I just saw the story through like a lot of the egg. Is that good PR? Like look at what we're doing to the general public. Like I think so because using less, I think, is something that you right. know the general public probably sees as like, oh, okay, we're reducing the amount of bad things we're putting out there. Because they don't really necessarily understand what we do. But, but doesn't that show how John Deere is selling it then? Like, oh, well, yeah, fertilizer's bad. We're going to use less. Like, I, I just think the the way they did it was wild to me. Because maybe there's been other big egg releases at CES, but I really, I don't know, I guess. So that one is just. I bet you like Trimble, Raven, all those guys are at those shows too. Just 
just reading here on on something on the exact shot, trying to find when they're going to release it. It's not in here, but there is something interesting. Um, it says across the U.S. corn crop, exact shot could save over ninety three million gallons of starter fertilizer annually. Okay, we got we understand. We talked about that and. Prevent wasted fertilizer from encouraging weed growth or increasing risk of runoff. Run off the field into a waterway. The runoff. We also talked about that. The but reducing, encouraging weed growth. That's a that was a, a strategy I had not picked up on. Yeah, I mean, not less fertilizer for the weeds to oh, scavenge. So sure. yeah, I've seen before when you spray off like rye, and the only thing that survives is the green strip right above the furrow where you put starter. So I guess I do know. I get. Yep. I get it. Yeah. I think more of that's coming from your two by two. Yeah. Sorry. Not. Not. In, not the infro one. The two right. by two one. Like but the, still, the infro. How much is like you're not losing any of your infro. The placement's perfect. It's right by the seed. Like you're gonna get it. Like again. Like I said, the whole. If John Deere is releasing some sort of robotic thing there, I get it at CES. CES, but to go with the new fertilizer technology is sort of wild to me. It's all right. Don't swing your walker at us. We know <laughs> you're angry at all the kids. Get off my lawn. John Deere, what are you doing? Well, they're one of the, like, go to the CES website. And for the conference this year, they were one of the featured spot exhibitors, like Amazon, Canon, Google, well, they Sony. they introduced an all electric uh, excavator. That was their other that okay. That yeah, like caterpillars there too. So yeah. John Deere's oh, right. there anyway, but yeah, right. That makes more sense, though, Max. If they're releasing, so they released them like it was a yeah. simultaneous yeah. presentation. Okay. Then so it, then that makes more sense. And they're a big company. They're looking for PR and for you know to get it as big and broad Are you as possible. Give them as much PR, Matt. Just say oh. It was, you, you know the like Steve Jobs like Apple presentations that used to yeah. go on. I think everybody wants that now for right. their yeah. whatever That's their the, thing yeah. is. Like that changed the way people bring products to the market. They, they want all a, want to release like they that. want a TED talk, right? They, yep. They want a big audience to clap when they put a picture up on a screen when they release something. They don't want a Facebook ad. They don't want like they want that moment. And so I think I think sh- shows like this, you're going to continue to see more that you're kind of like, why are they here? But they re- all they really found was we can sponsor something and they'll let us get up and talk in a room full of people and people will clap for our, our picture that we put up. It's really what it comes down to because that's what they want. And four dudes in Wisconsin will end up talking about us. Yes. Exactly. See? Four meatballs from Wisconsin. There's no such thing as bad PR, Todd, and they got us to talk about it. So, All right. Last thing I had on here was something um, that I think we've all seen both locally and you know something we knew was kind of coming, but weren't sure how it was going to work, and that's the drone seeding and or um, chemical applicators. So why drive in your field when you can fly? Airplanes, you know, we, a lot of times with fungicide we do those, and it gets expensive. you got to have so many acres. If you could have a drone come do it, the timing can be maybe more in your court. You don't need as many acres maybe to cover what they're doing, you can do chemical, fungicide, you can broadcast cover crop seed. Wet field, no problem. You're not driving in the field anyway. So, um, and your coverage, maybe maybe a little better. I mean, I'm not saying planes do a bad job, but we all know they got to drive in and pull up. So are those end rows getting as much where, you know, the drone, it's a pretty steady eddy flying over 
right above the canopy. You probably did you actually miles. see? Was there a lot there or not? There wasn't a lot there, um, but it was discussed. You know, some of the ideas. Was of, there any in the trade show? Like they didn't have any drones oh, there. We just talked. That's frustrating. Or that's unfortunate. Yeah. But what I think is interesting, we'll see at meetings. The rest of the meetings we go to, but it used to be more like imagery drones. And at yep. the last meeting, where where it was for NACC, it was actually just two companies selling. Applicator applicators, applicators yep. So be interesting if they're back at NACC again this we'll year or what we see with those because that technology is like the one we're seeing today is the worst one that there will ever be. Right. There'll be for, improvements. Yeah. Well, it's all these technologies. Like, like this is the worst iteration of the drone seeding technology. So it's it, only going to get better, quicker, you know, as battery life changes or we find a different way to power these things that's better the, the biggest like, issue right now is if it's a battery powered it's weight it's payload it's always yeah it's, it's payload it's yeah. always that's why it also could change to you know you put a fixed wing on it it takes less you know to, yep. to hold up the payload so it'll be interesting if we go back to anything like that but we've just seen it now with the with the copter drones they're just so much more precise the way they can hover and yep and, and if, maneuver i mean just looking at the technology we use to to send the path, you know, you can go back to, they can set a waypoint to go back to when they empty so that when they go refill, they're going back to exactly the right spot. It's not guesswork of like, oh, yeah, did I miss a row? Probably not, but I'm going to do that one again just in case. And, you know, there's you're taking the human element somewhat out of it with some of this technology. And, and it can be a good thing, can be a bad thing too. I mean, obviously we've seen drones fly into trees or, you know, we lose signal and, then you got to go find the drone. I know I've, I've been there walking a field. <laughs> like I, I know it was right about here, but Matt, a meeting you were you were planning to attend earlier this year that I, you didn't make it in the end. Their their lunch speaker actually is a someone locally here that is doing drone application yep. with no farm no farm background from what I understand. And I I could remember her name or her company's name. I would give her the free shout out here. I apologize. I cannot. It's actually way more interesting to listen to than I thought it was going to like the reasons why using a drone is the answer was way more like there was things that I didn't I guess I never really considered that it's like oh like if you're flying on cover crop seed with an airplane or a helicopter you're you're going to be okay with a pretty good amount of overspread loss off target movement and so you're not gonna you're not gonna put anything more than rye right because you're like that's cheap what ryan oats right that stuff's cheap if it flies away whatever you're not going to use those clovers radishes vetches well with the drone because it's so much more precise we can get more creative we can use more of these things and the application windows change a little bit because they can applicate from five feet over the canopy so they can be right there so we can change timings and all that it was it's actually way more useful than i thought it would be a year ago well and, and some of the early days of the flying on with airplanes Todd, I'm thinking of a field that we worked with, you know, they put a mix on, it had some clover or whatever. Some, most of the clover never made it to the ground. It probably got caught up in the canopy or, I mean, that's a small seed. A stiff breeze could probably take it off target real easy, like you said, Max. And so, yeah, I, I think we've seen that with the airplane side, and that's why, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And I think it was a good one to wrap up with because I think it's the most here and now of all these technologies of, you know, we're doing it and we've been doing it for a little while. 
scaling it was always kind of an issue and, and still is to an extent. But, um, but yeah, it's out there and it's happening. So those are just some kind of cool technologies out there to, to keep an eye out. Like I said, you know, some of these things, maybe they'll go away. Maybe they'll be the next big thing in the next five to 10 years, but they're all kind of fixing something that, you know, maybe we don't even realize needs to be fixed. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. All right, Bear announced collaboration with EarthBio, as I think how you pronounce it, it's O-E-R-T-H. And they will collaborate to develop the next generation of sustainable crop protection products. Founded in 2019 by Bear's impact investment arm, Leaps by Bear, and Arvinus, EarthBio has patented the ProTac protein degradation technology. This unique protein degradation technology provides an innovative pathway to an entirely novel or new crop protection and climate resilient farm solutions. Their protein degraders offer capacity for high precision product development, low application rates, and opportunities to overcome biological resistance. The molecules activate a specific naturally occurring process within their target species, offering precise impacts on weeds diseases, and insects while limiting the negative effect on your roof field crop. So really kind of what we've been talking about here with the emerging technologies is it's it's more targeted. It's looking to do more on a smaller basis. Also sounds like this should push their like development window like quicker instead of being 10 years to develop a new product that should be a little shorter at least. I don't know. I don't know how much shorter, but shorter. Well, I think, too, once you figure out with the target species, you know, what works and what doesn't work, then you can carry that through to different, the different species that are related. You know, a big thing with water hemp is, you know, we can, we can manage pigweed, but water hemp and amaranth have given us issues, but they have things in common because they're in the same family. So We've talked about this before, um, that we don't need more mixtures of things we already have for what, like... Currently, I, I would say Palmer, Waterham, and, and, and probably Tar Spot, like we know what we have, and it's not adding mixes. It's new product that's going to be the, kind of the solution. So a company making a step forward towards new product versus a reformulation is probably more, more productive. Exactly. All right. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Today we're going to talk GPS, so one of the original technologies that made a big impact on agriculture when it carried in with auto steer and AB lines and all that fun stuff. Really, how it started, 1957, with a Russian-launched satellite called Sputnik, which is the first satellite to successfully orbit the Earth. As Sputnik orbited the planet, the satellite emitted a radio signal group of scientists in the Applied Physics Laboratory at Johns Hopkins University observed a strange phenomenon. The frequency of radio, radio signals transmitted by Sputnik increased as the satellite approached, and the signal frequency decreased as it moved away. This shift is known in physics as the Doppler effect. So utilizing the Sputnik's Doppler effect, that allowed scientists to use radio signals to track the movement of the satellite from the ground. 
They later expanded that idea that if you could use a satellite location determined from the ground, you could also shift that and use the location of a receiver on the ground that could be determined by distance from the satellite. 1958, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, or ARPA, used this principle to develop TRANSIT, the world's first global satellite navigation system. First satellite for TRANSIT was launched in 1960, and the concept, developed by Johns Hopkins University's APL, was capable of providing navigation to military and commercial users, including the Navy's missile submarines. The program was transitioned to the Navy in the mid-1960s, and by 1968, a constellation of 36 satellites were fully operational. Transit's technology delivered accuracy to tens of meters and is credited with improving the accuracy of maps of Earth's land areas by nearly two orders of magnitude and helping to increase acceptance of satellite navigation. Transit operated for 20 years or 28 years until 1996 when the Defense Department replaced it with the current Global Position System, or GPS. And that was during the Clinton administration. It was released not only for the military, but also for public use. And now we use it quite a bit with phones and everything else. 96 was a great year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's the year you were born. Yep. All right. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. It's very easy. Just search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or an Android download Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. To listen on your computer, you can go to your computer browser or on a smartphone browser, tiltag.com slash podcast. You can now also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. Thanks, Todd. Now let's do our Cool Beans. That's corny for some current events. So Cool Beans? Cool, cool Beans. beans. Oh, one week away and can't get it right on the first try. I was reading the I was reading the Cool Beans and I was like, "Don't get distracted reading. Remember to say it." He jumped the gun. It was weird last week only having two of us though. All right, it was super weird. I I I I remember from when Bill and I did it, and you you just Cool Bean with two people. Can can we start over? We try again. Yeah, we'll try it again. All right, ready? Here we go. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. That was so embarrassing. (laughs) All right. Our cool beans this week. Industry leaders have optimistic egg transportation outlook for 2023. So while supply chain and movement of goods is still an issue, there is optimism for this coming year when it comes to transportation. Kirby Wagner with Growmark says labor and supply chain issues still linger, but the trucking sector is pushing forward. Despite concerns, they have an interested workforce, which means hopefully we can get things done in a more timely manner than has been the last couple of years with all the issues we've had. So, sounds good to me. It'd be nice to have things kind of, I don't want to say back to normal necessarily, but back to moving at a, at a good pace. So, like the first positive outlook since COVID on yeah. this like whole kind of sector, so... So and, and really, workforce is the big part of this, and if they've got people interested that want to do it, that's fantastic. All right, our That's Corny this week. USDA came out with their report, and it had an even bigger surprise than the 1.6 million acre 
drop in corn, which no one knows where that 1.6 million acres went yet, at least not that I've seen. And that comes from demand. So there is an, an expected, from the latest report, uh, lower core demand by about 150 million bushels. Corn exports were cut by 55 million bushel. Feed and residual cut by 25 million. Uh, cut soybean import de- or export demand by 55 million bushels. And they trimmed the soybean residual by 4 million. Now... You try and use these USDA reports that come out throughout the year of the crop outlook as like a, I don't want to say you use them as gospel, but some kind of guide to go off of. And then you hear that they miscounted or miscalculated 1.6 million acres. And you go, how do you, how do you trust any number they ever use again? Like that's, that that's ridiculous. I mean, a quarter of a million, I'd be like, oh, okay. Like they're looking at a lot of acres. 1.6 million is. It's hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to probably do this. You know, I mean, don't we only grow like 1.6 million acres of hay all every year? Like, isn't it some number like that? So our entire hay for the U.S. just we didn't account for. Like, yeah. that's come on. And I, I think the upside is we know USDA reports. You know, it's middle of winter. A lot of things can change. You know, maybe they'll find that 1.6 million acres they lost at some point. But. <laughs> that's just such a funny <laughs> sentence. <laughs> we just lost it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it is just a, a report, an expectation. that doesn't mean that it's reality. Um, so that's the, I guess, the upside we can take away from this is hopefully these numbers aren't quite correct and either it'll be on par or maybe even a little better than, than expected. So that's that. And now our Field Good Friday, actually a guy I saw last week talk at the conference I was at, a dryland corn yield record was shattered by a farmer in North Carolina by the name of Russell Hedrick. So year didn't start out great. He kind of thought maybe they weren't going to get enough rain this year. And I don't think he imagined he was going to set the record by as much as he did. So 459 and a half bushels to the acre, dry land bushel corn. So no irrigation involved. Um, obviously, he is in the south, so warmer climate, but the previous record was 368, so he beat it by almost 100 bushels to the acre. What does that look like in the field? The pictures it shows here doesn't it look, doesn't as, look as Yeah, as I mean, the co- he showed pictures of cobs last week at the conference, and yeah, they were, you know, there's a little bit of nose back, but they were pretty full to the tip. They look girthy. They're probably really big around. I yeah, but the, the plants themselves, ones. plants didn't look anything... Deep Colonel Max. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Deep Colonel. Shut up. What I do notice is uh his headland that he's standing in front of right here looks like it's could be the middle of the field. Yeah. So I mean that's probably a good sign. It's got he's forty five thousand plants an acre in thirty inch rows. Holy so they're in there. And I mean just looking at those plants too, you don't see much in the way of disease or any uh you know, nitrogen deficiency showing up on the leaves, really. It's got a little, little bit of striping on some of the real lower leaves, but. Egg Venture 9916, 116-day corn. We should plant that in the tilth plots just to see. Just to see. I, he actually did share last week his recipe, what he puts on it, too. Wow, that's impressive. No so I, I have pictures cool. of those slides, but, you know, it's North Carolina, yeah. too. So I've always laughed at how guys won't share that. Like, oh, somebody else gets good yield. 
Well, and we'll, Matt, fl- we'll flood the market. Perfectly too is like it's way different in North Carolina than you know, like not that some of those things couldn't be successful in other places. One thing that did stand out is his planting depth is he's pushing yeah, three, three to three inch. and a half. Yeah, yeah. So he's pushing a deep, deep planting, but you know that might be down there too with their soils and moisture levels and everything else may be different than, than what we're used to. I I don't know how to farm in North Carolina. Well, I, but I, I couldn't tell you. But what, what that would do that a lot of farmers forget is like nodal roots that changes your whole root system. Right. So that's always one thing. Guys are like, oh, I'll shell it out so it gets out quicker. I'm like, that's fine, but you're going to have not as good of roots. You know, like it's a, it's a thing. And granted, at three inches, there's times that would be tough to get out of the ground in Wisconsin. But it's just that is interesting, Matt, because yeah, he's he's farming a different. It's a different type of corn than when you give that much room. To, yep. it'll put on a whole another set of nodal roots. And now he is no till. So this I, was yeah, yeah, no till. Um, you know, he's big. Obviously, I was at the national no till conference, so he is a, a big time no tiller. Um, you know, he is is doing a lot of things for soil health, and uh, you know, obviously he. Set the record, but we know these records are small acreage. It's not, you know, his farm didn't average that. But it's still a pretty cool thing um, for a farmer like him. And, you know, he he talked about in this article, you know, he's he's hit 300 bushel before, but to jump out and nail that 459, that's got to be kind of crazy, especially when the rest of his farm averaged 268. So, not bad, corn. Yeah. So, good for him. Congratulations, Russell, on that record. And thank you for listening to our podcast today. That'll be it for the week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So, we talked about some emerging technologies to keep an eye on that we may see in the near and far future. Our spotlight was Bear announcing, announcing a collaboration with EarthBio to better target weed control. A History Minute, we talked about the history of GPS. Cool Beans was optimism is here for transportation and ag. That's corny as USDA has reported a drop in exports and expected markets for our commodities. And our Field Good Friday was Russell Hedrick setting the dryland corn record with a 459 bushels of the acre yield in North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.